All right. Hello, and welcome to the Yet Another Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. And with me today, I'm excited to have, for the second time, my friend, Ben Klarman. Ben, how's it going? I'm doing well. Happy to be back. Great. Well, hey, let me start this podcast the way I do every podcast. First, a disclaimer. Everyone should remember nothing on this podcast is investing advice. Please go do your own work. Uh, The second way I start this podcast is with a pitch for you, my guest. Uh, people can go listen to our first podcast to hear the full pitch, but I just want to add on to it. You recently launched a competing podcast, which I'm going to forgive you for, but it's called Compounders Anatomy of a Multibagger. I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's made me like you even more as an investor. You've had some companies on that I thought I was kind of the only person following and you've had them on and I I just really enjoyed them. I've learned so much from them. You know, I, I would say for listeners, the Stonex one is a company that is extremely underfollowed. Go listen to that. I think you're going to really enjoy the CEO, the way he talks about the industry, creating value. There are a couple other, the Tigo one, everyone knows Cable's close to my heart. I hadn't followed Tigo in a while, but I thought he came off incredible. So look, you interview small to mid-cap companies, probably a little bit underfollowed. You interview the CEOs in-depth, kind of like you and I are going to do right now for about an hour. So I think people should go check that out. That's my pitch for you. I realized that was a very a big softball one, but I just want people to know, check out the link in the show notes, go, go check out the Compounders podcast. Uh, that very softball pitch out the way, let's turn to the company we're going to talk about today. The company is Lumen. The ticker is L-U-M-N. And I'll just flick, flip it over to you. What is Lumen and why are we so interested in them? Yeah. So I don't even know where to start. Uh, let's start here. Uh, so this is a very contentious stock. This is a battleground stock. There are, I mean, the derision that I receive whenever I bring this up with outside investors um, is high. So that can either mean that we are crazy and um, investing in something that is a value trap and won't make any money, or there's the opportunity for something to be underappreciated about it. We think it's a ladder, but um, you know, I, I recognize, and 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 I didn't come on the, the show just to like whatever mess with people and, and and pitch something very controversial. This is the largest position in the strategy that I that I manage. So um, you know, we own the stock, and it is it is a very important piece. Um, so what is Lumen? So Lumen is the former CenturyLink, um, and CenturyLink is basically a that, that Lumen uh, after is the name change after CenturyLink, but CenturyLink was basically a roll up of you know telco assets. Um, you know CenturyLink made uh, before acquiring Level Three made a number of assets. They bought Quest and they bought a bunch of other things. Um, so the legacy CenturyLink business is is and was mostly a consumer oriented business think everything that everybody hates declining wireline so think phones which you know who in the world still has a, a, a landline these days and so that business is a high cash flowing high margin business that is declining at a relatively rapid pace um they also uh within their markets um the old management team didn't really believe in fiber so in the things that are doing well at charter and comcast where people invested in the plant and are like passing homes and signing up people uh for broadband which is what cable companies now sell they don't sell tv they don't sell phones they sell broadband uh they didn't do that so what you have is a a, a pretty legacy rural telco um that um just hasn't been able to grow and in fact has been shrinking um and so in 2017 they married that gem uh with with level three uh which is one of the largest fiber companies in the world they have four 
prior to to some asset sales are doing this year, they have about four hundred fifty thousand route miles of fiber. Um, that's that goes down that goes anywhere you want to go. That's APAC, that's EU, that's South America, which is an asset they're now selling, and that's North America. Um, you know, they are the backbone for a lot of things. If you go back to level three's history, it was a combination of level three and global crossing. It, um, you know, I wasn't investing at this time and you can go back and read about those deals. Like, you know, there was a fiber glut and global crossing, you know, went bankrupt. And, and this is, this is what came out of that. Um, and so, you know, they have subsea assets. They have transatlantic and trans transpacific assets we, that, that we think are actually really compelling. Um, but you know they're kind of buried within this business that going back to 2017 probably should have never been put together didn't make sense to combine you know literally like an old wireline company with a company that was like the backbone of what the future our future technology was going to look like right and so how much how much of the world especially in a covid zoom world how much of our world travels on fiber um, it's incredible, right? But, you know, so you have a very legacy culture, um, kind of like just like everything you can think about the old telco merged with a more entrepreneurial company, which was which was run by Jeff Story, who's now thankfully the CEO of the combined company, but, you know, just just a mess. Um, the, the only saving graces was that there was a huge amount of cost savings between the two, all of which have already been realized. Um, and so you have a high margin business that has not been able to grow, that was over levered and, um, you know, really was an orphan because of all of the things that I just discussed. Yep. Hey, Ben, uh, let me just start with a quick question. So CenturyLink, you know, you had this old world, rural, not rural, but uh, old world telecom, lots of copper, lots of landline, all the DSL. And you said the old management team didn't believe in fiber. So I have two questions on that. A, you know, Sitting here in 2021, it's laughable that, that people didn't believe in fiber, right? So my first question was, A, why didn't they believe in fiber? Because I'm sure there was they had reasons, right? Even if you disagree with them, I, I'm sure they weren't just coming out there and saying it for no reason. And then B, it strikes me as strange that a person, a management team who didn't believe in fiber would merge with level three, which is basically all fiber. Now that's enterprise fiber versus when I think you and I say CenturyLink didn't believe in fiber, we're more talking consumer fiber to the home versus enterprise fiber, but still a bit, a little bit of strange mix. So what do you think about those two questions? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't go into the mind of the old CenturyLink management team, but here's what I can say. Our sense is that the the wireline copper business was a high margin, high free cash flow business. They didn't really have to invest in the plant significantly to maintain it. And so, you know, this was a company that paid a dividend and, you know, and, and, and when they measured level three, I believe that, that, that they inherited that, that structure. So I think this was more of a, just, this was not a management team that was looking around the corner. Um, my guess is at the time, Fiber was expensive, very, very expensive to roll out in their rural markets, right? If you're if you're if you're going to wire downtown Seattle or downtown Denver, there's a different cost than 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 wiring the farmers who are you know, 20 miles outside of uh, 20,000 person town, right? And so I think the costs were possibly prohibitive, um, and so maybe from an institutional standpoint, it just wasn't of interest. Um, and look, I think why level three, 
because light level three was a shinier, cooler asset than anything they had. And how many times have we seen companies try to get into the cooler space, right? They either missed the boat or, you know, didn't have the right footprint. And so they try to buy into an asset and then you get a culture clash where, you know, the, the legacy telco guys just do not know what to do with a very entrepreneurial organization that was a roll-up of a lot of different assets that was run by Jeff Story. Um, and, you know, it was just it, typical, prototypical. And it's like almost like AT&T buying anything. It's like yeah. they're just <laughs> bound to screw it up because of the different cultures. And so I think a lot, that's a lot of what happened. And like, I will mention that, you know, we've we've talked to people who are close to Jeff Story, who's now the CEO, and 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 he came on as COO originally. Jeff had um, a heart attack. I don't know, call it five or six years ago. I, like, don't don't quote me on that. But like within the last decade, he had a heart attack, and like I th- we think he was probably on his way out. Like this was his not like selling level three for thirty four billion dollars. Um, you know, after like building this thing. You know, that's like outsider kind of stuff, given where that thing came from. And so I think he was probably on his way out until he went inside and realized like, oh, my God, the guys from Louisiana, which is where CenturyLink was originally, it was originally from, like, just like, this is not, this is not going to work. And so, so that's, that's why he's still here. But I think getting to that point, like, this is not, level three was his baby. CenturyLink slash Lumen is not his baby. He is not like inextricably tied to this thing. Um, and I think their recent actions would suggest to you that like there are no secret cows here. And we'll talk, we can talk about the assets. Yeah. But you know, just going back, A, you said the CenturyLink guys from Louisiana. And as a New Orleans native born, I'm not going to take too much crap about Louisiana. But just going back to the old management team not believing in fiber, you know, today it's easy to make fun of them. But I, I will say, Look, he had a high margin business. And if you look at the fiber rollouts from the late 2000s to the early 2010s, you know, you're thinking Google, Google Fiber, yeah. AT&T Universe, Verizon Fives. It actually did kind of prove out that all of them were overpriced and the returns yeah. on capital there were pretty poor. And yeah. I could see how, you know, it's one of those classic dilemmas. You're, you're a guy with high margin business and you're presented with this new product. Do you invest a lot of money, have to cut the dividend? Your board's probably going to fire you. Your investors yeah. are going to be screaming. Uh-huh. And maybe it was just damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think that's fair. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's. I mean, it, you're right. In hindsight, it's really easy to make fun of them. I think there were a lot of other issues in terms of yes. operations yeah. and how it was run, um, lack of investment. But yeah, that that is, you know, you Je- you make. Jeff, I, 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 go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to Jeff, the new CEO. If I'm remembering correctly, I, I should have checked the 13 Ds before I have time, but. He he was the CEO. He was named the COO when the merger went through. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it was Southeastern who filed the D that ultimately got the old CenturyLink CEO to kind of agree to retire in a couple months and Jeff to step on as CEO. So he's like a handpicked activist. Hey, this is the guy we want leading the, this company. Yeah, I mean, I think Southeastern and and we have a relationship with with Southeastern and, and talk to them to the degree that they can talk because they are a defiler. But we have a, and this is something we you know we have a di- open dialogue with them about. Like yeah, I think Jeff is he's not their guy. It's not like they brought him in, but I think they believe in the his north star that this is a guy who created an enormous amount of value at level three. 
right? Sold it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Could you argue that maybe CenturyLink was not the right buyer and Jeff, you know, got a really nice multiple for that business. And so this was kind of like his way, his, his swan song. Um, I mean, that all of those things may be true, um, but that doesn't mean that he's not the right guy to continue to, to figure out how to create value from here. And so that's, that I think, when when I look at this, there's a lot of things that I think are misunderstood, and and we, we can get into those. But if you know anything about Cove Street, if you know anything about me, like I'm really focused on people's. Like, what are people's incentives? What are their motivations? What is their north star? Do they, you know, do they just, you know, are they focused on EPS and 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 I don't know golfing, or do they care about free cash flow and returns on invested capital and have you know, a private equity or John Malone style understanding of how to create value for, for shareholders. And I think Jeff does have those things. Um, I will say and that he doesn't always, you know, on public conference calls or sell side call, the sell side conferences. I don't necessarily know if he comes off as like, um, you know, like Mauricio, you mentioned Mauricio Ramos, who's the, who's the Tigo CEO who we've interviewed, like, yeah. Mauricio, like he, he, he gets it and he will, he's not shy about it. Jeff's just a little more reserved. And I think people look, think of that as like some form of weakness or like a lack of conviction. It's, it's I, I, we don't think that's what that is. So, you know, these are the intangibles with any investment that, you know, to, to get right and to make a lot of money, I think you need to be right about the business value and the people. We think we have the people here who understand how to create value. The market clearly does not think that that is like, I don't think there's any argument about that. And so if, if you're thinking about our contrarian position, it is that look at how he is incented, open up the proxy statement and look at what the, the number of zeros he could add to his, <laughs> to his family's wealth. If they but, could sell this company for any, anything near what we think it's worth. Why don't we start there? How is he incentivized? So what is the proxy statement for those of us too lazy to open the proxy statement up? What is the proxy statement telling us? Yeah, the proxy statement is telling us that his change in control um, is, what was it, I think in the 30 to $40 million range, but that was on a price, that was at a stock price struck at the, I believe it must have been struck whenever the proxy was issued. So, you know, the stock is up a fair amount since then. Um, and then if you sell it for what it's worth, those shares that you get um, in a change of control or when, when your shares vest, right? You get the current value, not what they're not what the proxy, not what it said when the proxy was struck. So, you know, we're talking hundred million dollars. Like if if you if you think that it's worth what we think it's worth. So, you know, that's 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 real money for anybody. Can I provide a slight pushback there? So I I don't disagree, but you know, most CEOs of big companies have big change of control agreements. And yep. that doesn't necessarily, just in my mind, it doesn't always incentivize them to sell because when you sell like Yes, you're going to get a boatload of money, but you probably already got more money than you know what to do with. Your kids know what to do with. You get that on a yearly basis. And when you sell, you do lose the prestige of being the CEO. You know, your banker friends aren't going to call you up as much. You, you just lose a little bit of prestige. So, like, I kind of have always like Charter, which is a, a position I've been involved with for a long time. You know, when their stock was at 180, they sent they sent incentives that said, "Hey, if we can get to $500 per share." Within five or six years, which is an unbelievable IRR, you know, our yeah. CEO will basically make a billion dollars. So yeah. yeah, he'd get rich through a change of control and stuff. But even without that, he would make a lot of money. Do, does he have incentives there just to kind of deliver around anything like that? I mean, there's nothing remarkable about their proxy that like that, right? Like, and, and look, there, 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 there are puts and takes with that. 
Right? Yeah. If you incentivize people based on a share price and some and COVID happens, right? And your stock gets cut in half because of nothing you did, right? All of a sudden, those are not going to get hit. All of that's underwater, right? So maybe the CEO stays, but what if that goes further down, right? Into the organization and all those people are not getting anything. So uh, look, we could, t- we could have an entire podcast on compensation um, and, and the puts and takes there. One day um, we might do that. One day yeah, we might I do mean, that. I, look, I don't, I don't think there's nothing remarkable enough. Like they, they, the things they care about are just the EBITDA and free cash flow. And, and you know, those are those are positive things for us versus like, I don't know, some, there's some other, there's plenty of other things. But th- this company needs to grow, right? If that, and it's where it's where they fail. It's where, I mean, like I, like I, I'm as critical of, the ex, not, not the execution, but of the outcome of this merger as anybody, right? Which is why I think they needed to be undone. But like whatever it is, this company's not been able to grow, and and that and that's both on the legacy CenturyLink side, and that's on the frustration that I have with the company, and the frustration that the market has with the company is that the level three side, and yeah. the you know the business side, that's Quest and level three, they haven't been able to really move the needle either, um, and so that. I mean, that's that's really what what is important for us as, as shareholders, and and you know, and and I, I think that team knows it. But to get to your your question, you made a broad statement, and it is absolutely true that um, the change in control can be can be meaningless in certain situations. One way to make an enormous amount of money is just to stay in the seat as long as you possibly can. Um, and so, absolutely true. Um, I just think that Jeff, given his age, given the heart attack, you know, given that stuff, like this is not, we're not going to see him in this seat in 10 years, right? There's, there are certain things, you know, not to talk about his health or anything like that, but I just like my point is like, there are certain things that are suggestive to me that like, he's not just going to want to sit in this seat forever. Um, And look, maybe they hand it to somebody else, but um, from a, from a personal perspective, when you're trying to figure out, does this person have the incentive to sell. And we can talk about Lionsgate too, because it's the exact same thing. <laughs> Those gentlemen are getting to be in their late sixties. Right. And so there's just a, there's, there, there's a point and I'm, I'm actually writing my Q3 uh, letter to our investors. And, and there's this, I'm going to introduce the idea of a stock maturity, right? So bonds have a maturity stocks don't in theory have a maturity, right? But there comes a time in this life cycle of a company where there is kind of a maturity. Mm-hmm. And I think both Lionsgate and Lumen are getting towards their maturity where there are things being considered that may not have been considered five years ago. And there are outlets for value creation that are now on the table that weren't. And so that's, that's really the idea. And um, we can talk about the things that have happened that would that are that are suggestive to me that there are that there like things are in motion. You know, and I have found the best sign that somebody could be a seller or is a seller or something is their history. You know, you my favorite thing is a new CEO joins a company that's kind of in turnaround or something, and you go look at their you go look at their background. And ten years ago they joined a company, and two and a half years later they sold it. Then five years ago they joined a company, and then three years later they sold it. That's the best sign. And here. Jeff, guess what? He already sold level three once, right? So this, I would say he's probably willing seller. I want to dive into all the different parts and the complexities here, but you know, I, I spent a lot of time in telecom. So let me just give you, when you and I were talking about doing a Lumen podcast, let me give you my background because I think it's how pretty much every telecom investor looks at it, right? Once a year, somebody will ping me on Lumen or I'll, I'll get around to look at it and I'll say, hey, that's pretty cheap. It's in your wheelhouse. You've done a lot of work on this. 
Copper assets can be upgraded to fiber at some point. They've got lots of enterprise value, fiber that's valuable. They even talk a good game on capital allocation. Let's give it a look. And then I'll spend you know half a day, a day, whatever. And I'll say, oh, this is a mess. It's down 20% from when I looked at it. It's really hard to look at all the different pieces. I'm not sure what's going on. I'll probably just pass. And then a year goes by, I do it again. It's down another 20%, all that sort of stuff. So it, you know, I feel like I've been repeating this pattern what would you say to investors like me who've been looking at this company and just saying, it's a mess, it's too complicated? How do you get over that baggage for them? Yeah. Um, so you just defined a value trap, right? Which is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. every time you look at it, it looks cheap, but it's down 20% at every time. And so let me let me say a few things about that. I would say, and, and I'll bring up Lionsgate again, um, with both of those companies, this long of, of consistent futility opens up alternatives and forces alternatives that were not on the table before, right? There's the, so, you know, our, our founder always says like, what is the present value of your operating plan? And what is, you know, what could you get today for those assets, for this, for this company or these assets? And you weigh those two things as a management team. Um, and, you know, as we said, there's a lot, there's plenty of management teams who are inclined to just give it and keep going with the present value of their operating plan and saying, well, this, this time it's going to be different and we're going to be able to grow and all that stuff. But I mean, this has been, this has been, they closed this in November of, uh, sorry, 2017. So we're coming up on four years since the deal. I think the stock was in the 30s. I mean, it's, it's $13 today, right? This is on a relative basis, it's, it's a slaughtering, but even on an absolute basis, it's a huge, huge capital impairment that we've seen, right? And so that, to me, that is one of the reasons why um, this time may be different. Um, and and let me let me say the other thing that I think is really indicative of why things are different now. Um, so when we first invested in, so we were level three shareholders, and CenturyLink bought it, we were out. Um, and we looked at this, and and I think Eugene and Jeff, my colleagues, were like, "This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, we don't think like this looks like a really good deal for uh, for level three shareholders, and it looks like a really not a particularly smart thing." Um, for because my guess is, and I, I'd have to go back and look, but my guess is there they had the CenturyLink, given the multiple they were trading at, paying the paying the multiple they did for level three. That's like the multiple arbitrage you don't want. You're trading at a low multiple, the other one's trading at a high multiple. That is not what we call accretive, right? Because what happens is the good company's multiple, like the, the good company's earnings get get uh, mixed with yours, and all of a sudden the whole the multiple for like the, the multiple comes down. Right. And so um, or or the weighted average multiple is not particularly attractive. But anyway, um, so this company. So when we invested in 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 CenturyLink and then and then when it turned into Lumen, right, this was a cheap stock. It was a small position. It was kind of like we think the asset value is higher, but, you know, we don't have the conviction to say this is a five or a seven and a half or 10 percent position because it was kind of just like a mean reversion trade. Like this is too cheap. Something will happen. If they can get the level three assets to grow, um, we'll make some money. You know, it probably shouldn't trade at five times EBITDA. It should trade at six. And, you know, you benefit with a little bit of growth and mean reversion in, in terms of the multiple. Well, that hasn't happened. Right. And so that's that's why we are where that's why we are where we are today. Um, but what has happened is this company, I believe, and this is this is this is our contrarian position, is that this has become a special situation. So when when Eugene and I, my colleague, were on the investors podcast last year, and and I said, 
the merger between CenturyLink and Lumen is being, and, and sorry, and level three is being undone. Everyone yep. said we were crazy. The feedback we got was, we haven't, the, the company said, well, okay, we haven't said that. So like, just let's, let's remember that. And then every, every investor said, that's crazy. There's all these synergies there. Why would they do that? They just did this deal. And, and what has just happened, right? So, so for people who don't follow this, they just did a $7.5 billion asset sale of legacy CenturyLink assets to Apollo. Um, and so the reason why this is a special, special situation is because I don't personally think, and I could be wrong, um, but I, I would say we have a pretty good track record over the last year of anticipating some internal movement. Um, I think that there's, there's still something going on. There's one more shoe to drop, maybe two, right? And so the point, the point is, is that this is a special situation. I believe, firmly believe, and and if and if you've heard what what Jeff what we heard secondhand about what Jeff Story said when he listened to that podcast, he said these guys get it. Um, and so our position is that this company will not be in the exact same form that it's in today. In I don't know, call it thirty six months. Maybe it's twenty four. Maybe it's twelve. Maybe it's two months. But in some time frame, hopefully within our investors' appetite <laughs> to hold to, to invest with us and hold the stock, that there that there, this will turn into this will be a special situation where the value that we see in the assets will be will be realized in some form. So let me step back for a second. <laughs> There's just. You know, one of the tough things with Lumen is there's so many different parts to it. It's and if we're going to go an hour, it's tough to cover it. But so over the past, actually, it's I was going to say year, but it's actually the past four months, three months. They've done two big deals. They sold they sold about seven billion dollars worth of what I call ILEC assets. That's rural telecom assets, basically to Apollo. Those were all those were pretty much all copper assets that Apollo is going to buy, and they're going to they want to run. Yes, milk it a little bit, but they want to run. Hey, we're going to upgrade these copper assets to fiber, make them much more valuable. You know, fiber goes for five hundred dollars per home. Fiber goes for three thousand dollars per home to pass. Copper goes for about five hundred. If you spend a thousand dollars to take a five hundred asset to three thousand, huge value created. That's what Apollo wants to do. Lumen sold those assets because they say, "Hey, we've got lots of other copper assets. We'll take these proceeds and we'll go make all of our other copper assets fiber, and those are actually better assets." And then the other deal they did was they sold a bunch of the old level three. South American assets, I believe. South American yeah, Latin assets. Latin America, South America. Yeah. Latin American assets to that's all enterprise fiber. They sold it, I think, was to Stone Peak for about nine times EBITDA. Yeah. And they're going to use that debt. So those are two big deals. I mean, we, we just did $15 billion in asset sales. But what you're saying is you think that there's more on the horizon. So what would what would more look like? What would the another deal that they do look like? Yeah. Sell the whole company, sell yeah. more old level three assets. I'm not sure who wants the whole the whole thing. Um I have some suspicions that there are people who would be interested in the enterprise fiber that level three and then quest own. Um, but I'm not sure who would want the consumer assets. So you could do it a number of ways. Um, you APAC. So the question is what's left. So if you listen to Jeff Story's re- most recent presentation, I think it was at Go- the Goldman conference, yep. you know, they, they, they talked to him about like, is there anything left that's non-core? And he said, for sure, there are still things that are non-core. So what could that be? Um, that could be the EU business um, in, in uh, of level three. I think that is probably a pretty good business um, where they have a pretty good asset base of, of fiber. And so I don't know if that's non-core, but APAC, 
um, potentially just like Latin America, that what the, which is these are all um, level three assets could be for sale. Um, I, I, I tweeted out. I mean, he was pretty clear. It, it, it's he says Asia aspect. We don't own every part of the network, and then he starts comparing Asia to Latam. I mean. I don't think he could have been more clear that Asia might yeah. be on the selling block. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you, if you want to own, you want to own both the, you need a bunch of endpoints. You don't just want to be a wholesale provider, I think. And, and this is, you know, I'm parodying my colleague Eugene a little bit because he knows this whole industry better than I do. But like, you know, w- one of the reasons why Latin America was not a great asset for them is because they just, they were just like a wholesale provider, provider fiber. They didn't have a lot of endpoints. You know, it was just, and that's, and when you look at nine times, you could be like, yeah, I mean, for relative to recent fiber multiples, that's pretty weak, right? Like, I mean, we've seen much higher multiples for fiber, but like, I think Latin America and APAC are two of their weaker fiber holdings. And I think EU and North America are really core. So um, I, I think APAC could be on on the on the chopping block as well. Um, I don't know what multiple they'll get, but, you know, given what we're underwriting, you don't need a whole lot. Um, but let me throw this at you. What would John Malone do if he was interested in selling the rest of those um, consumer assets? So, so what's so what's left? So let, let's talk about what's left. So they yep. they basically sold, I would say, their worst assets. Now, if you read the Frontier presentation, you know they have very specific IRRs and costs per past home for um, rolling out rural fiber in certain markets. And so um, there's a disconnect between what Lumen has said and done and what Frontier is saying. I think it appears um, that Frontier, maybe because they don't have a lot else, um, seems to believe that rolling out rural fiber has a high return. Um, I have been told for years that Lumen did not see that math panning out. And so those, especially those assets that were sold to Apollo, I think fit that characteristic, right or wrong, maybe fiber's right and fiber being frontier, maybe frontier's right and there is a return there and that's and Apollo is going to do really well and maybe Lumen's right or maybe it's somewhere in between. But I think they be- believed that the ROI would not pan out on those assets. Okay. So let's, let, so they just sold those for five and a half times. All right, so what's left? So what's left is 16 states and it's set, they claim it's 70% urban and suburban. So only 30% rural, which I which the, the assets they sold are much more rural. Um, you have really good markets in there. You have Vegas, I believe you have, you have Florida assets, you have Phoenix, Seattle. Um, as my friend Eric Speron said, these are football cities. Um, and so, you know, these are these are good cities where they have dense fiber. If you looked at Denver, where um, the level, the, sorry, where level three was based, like that, like that is a really nice asset all by itself. Um, so, my point being that these are attractive assets, so, and there are, according to them, 15 million homes that they could pass, right? And they haven't done a whole lot of fiber investing there. I mean, they have been like if you look at the only thing that's been growing in this business, it has been their 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 broadband business. Now it's not that big because they, you know, it's it's a good question. Like, why haven't they invested more aggressively in fiber? Obviously, they inherited a situation where they were not well positioned because the previous management team did not align the company that way. But yeah, I mean, they they said for years to some to some degree that we have the capital, we just don't think the returns are there, and now they're pivoting. And so you can question that, and you could say that seems a little strange. Like, why if if 
if you weren't capital constrained, why why haven't you been investing more in fiber? Look, to some extent, the costs have come down, right? You and I have gone back and forth about this, and I've learned a lot, of, you know, recently about how much like the the cost per homes pass have come down. And now with these two asset sales, they do have the money, I think, to in to simultaneously invest in the plant um, and pass these homes with fiber, um, pay the dividend, um, and generate a fair amount of free cash flow. Um, so th- th- that that's all good. But getting to my original point, they gave us almost no detail regarding, they gave us a very broad perspective. 15 million homes, 70% urban and suburban, nothing about cost per, per homes passed, where they were going to focus, um, the total amount they were going to s- spend. And so you can look at that a couple of different ways. You could say they just closed two day, two deals in three months and everyone was just buried, right? And tired and 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 who knows if they had it, it, who knows if they'd even, you know, they didn't have an they didn't have anything to tell us, right? What they what they just did was to sell two assets and that's what haven't they, even closed them yet, right? They've announced right. them but haven't closed them. So they're oh. they're still probably going through the a little bit of pre-integration, you know, getting talking to regulators to get them to approve the deal. So it, not even closed. So so not even close. So yeah, maybe it's maybe on the Q3 call or the Q Q4 call. We're going to get a lot more data about what these assets are, the 16 states that they're retaining. Like, you know, what does it look like to roll out the fiber? What, what kind of IRRs do they assume? Um, or so, so there's that. Um, so you could look at their lack of detail in a number of different ways. The other way to look at it is, you know, why would why would I tell why would I tell my competitors where I'm going to be investing? Just go do it. Right, like as opposed to you know catering to the sell side and 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 giving us way too much, but giving us an information as investors to, to make us feel comfortable. Just go out and do it before because there is a first. I mean, we'll agree there's a first mover advantage in fact, Right, it's mu- if if you're the if you're the incumbent and you're the first one to pass a home, right, and and you have that relationship, an overbuilder is going to have some 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 ability to take that, but not necessarily a lot. Um, but the other way to look at it is. If you thought you were going to sell those assets and they were on the block, you would talk them up all day, which is basically what they've done. They said, these are great assets. We've got you know 15 million homes to pass. Like The IRRs here should be really solid. We now have the capital to do it. We're going to build fiber competitors, right? Um, and so look, I, I don't know exactly what remains non-core, but I do think there are other assets that could be sold. Uh, and you know, we should, when we get into valuation, I think that the the margin of safety here is that all you have to do is put the multiples they sold their two, probably two of their worst assets for their worst consumer business and their their worst business um, segment, um, which is Latin America. If you just put those multiples on the rest of the business, you have a multi-bagger from here. Yep. You don't. You don't need to assume anything other than that those multiples for their worst businesses, um, you know, are are fair for the rest of the business as well. So we're going to talk valuation in some of the parts in a second, but I just want to finish up on your your thought there. So they sold the assets to Apollo. They sold the LATAM South America assets to, I think it was Stone Peak, but they sold those. Yeah, and then you, you think that they're kind of prepping the remaining uh, consumer assets, the remaining copper assets. They're prepping it for a sale, and that could be to another private equity player. Private equity has loved. I, I mean, Apollo just spent seven billion on these, right? Private equity has loved buying copper assets. They yep. can upgrade fiber infrastructure. Loves it. They could sell it to a you know a strategic who's 
who's buying rural telecoms as a strategic. There aren't a lot of them out there, not because they don't want to, but probably because most of them, you know, their balance sheets are a little stretch and the M&A history here is poor. So most of them probably just don't have that appetite, but it's possible. It's possible. But if they sold the remaining consumer business, what would the rest of the company look like? What would the assets be there? Um, you would have the business side, which, you know, pro forma, I mean, it's, there's a lot of moving pieces here. So uh, like these numbers may change, but, um, you know, you'd have about four and a half billion in EBITDA. I mean, who knows what it would look like, but something like four to $5 billion. In we don't even need number, but it would just be the old level three oh, enterprise. Plus, plus. Plus, if, plus. If, say again. Uh, so quest level three and base. So legacy century link business which includes the quest assets plus yep. the remaining level three which is uh apac eu north america so you would have basically it would be mostly an enterprise fiber company which um, those go for i, I mean again it, the devil is the devil is very much in the details but i'm thinking back to zeo which went for like 13 or 14 times yep. ebitda you know, Stone Peak, I keep mentioning that they bought a lot of fiber assets recently, generally for around 20 times EBITDA. So or we're talking about a stock. The, that's, um, the light path deal. Um, light Morgan path Stanley. deal. Alti sold light path to Morgan Stanley infrastructure. I think that was 14 and a half times. And that was, it's a good market, but that's a very low growth asset, if I remember yep. correctly. So it, here we're talking about, hey, this is a stock at five. Obviously, we, we just said they sold two big assets. We're talking about them selling the Marine consumer and maybe Asia Pacific as well. But it's a stock at five. And we're saying hey, if you get isolated down to that core, it's 15. So yep. let's talk valuation. You know, I, I think one of the bull cases that I've heard here has been, hey, they just sold some assets. They sold the Latin American assets for 9x. They sold the Apollo assets for a little bit over 5x. The core business here is trading for about 5x EBITDA. And you know, the core, the remaining business is certainly a better business than what they just sold to Apollo. So it's too cheap. Walk me through the the too cheap math. What what is this kind of worth in what are the yeah. parts there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you just you just summed it up really well, right? Like so you you have to 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 believe um and this is like this is just math, right? To believe that the rem, that the remain co is worth um I don't even know what you have to believe to, 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 to get to the current stock price. I mean, you basically, I mean, it, it, let me just put it this way. If you value the mass, the consumer side as pro forma, so assuming the Apollo sale goes through, assuming the Stone Peak sale goes through, if you value the mass side, which is, you know, whatever, somewhere close to $1.82 billion in EBITDA, if you value that at zero, and you put a nine, which is a stone peak value on the on the business side, you get $18 on a $13 stock. If you simply put a nine on the rest of the business, so the rest of the business side, so the, the enterprise assets, um, and you put a five and a half, which is the same multiple they sold the other, um, the, the, uh, the clearly the, the, the weaker um consumer assets for if you just put it so just a blend so nine for the business side five and a half for the consumer side which is called mass that's uh, on a, assuming that the proceeds come in that's about 28 dollars on a 13 dollar stock 28 dollars on a 13 dollar stock Whew. so that's it it's, it's <laughs> well just, you know I, i'm over here buying all teas and saying it's a 50 dollar stock when it's 20 and it's going down 10 percent every day but i like the, i like that method that thinking let me ask um i've got a couple other 
questions here. First, there's been a lot of questions on the dividend. You know, I think one of the things that has attracted a lot of investors to the the story, at least initially, is the dividend. I think it's a, a dollar per year, thirteen dollar stock. You know, eight percent yield. It has certainly yielded over ten percent in the not too uh, recent past. But when I look at that GS compar- a, I think that dividend a yield that high for a company that needs to that has said they want to do fiber to the home investments. They want to buy back shares because they think their stock's too cheap. I, I think that dividend's probably inefficient. And I think they've pretty clearly signaled they're going to cut it. But I guess there's two questions there. What do you think about the dividend? And you know, I, I always worry when you see a dividend cut, even if it's been telegraphed, people are just going to freak out and panic. So how are you guys thinking about the dividend and where it goes from here? Yeah, I mean, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you, what's your, what's your time frame? Um, if you are living month to month, week to week, year to year, um, and uh, stock being down 10% uh, in because of a dividend cut would be really painful for you, um, then you want them to keep the dividend. If you have a three to five year time horizon and are, and and have a corporate finance framework that is suggestive of being agnostic between a buyback and a dividend and whatever, paying down debt, or I mean, maybe you do have some opinion on that, but if like the short-term pain of a dividend cut is irrelevant to you for the long-term value of this company, then they should absolutely cut it. I don't know if it's to zero. I don't know if it's 50%. I don't know what it is, but they should absolutely cut it and they should buy the crap out of their stock if you think it's worth $28 or they should pay down debt. If they're really, if, if they're so worried, if people are really worried about a three to three and a half times levered, you know, telco asset that has some declining aspects of it, then pay down debt and get underneath it or whatever, accelerate the 15 million homes that you can build um uh, fiber two and 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 then get the consumer side growing again and then maybe the whole thing re-rates so m- my point is there are probably better uses for that cash than paying a dividend there are a lot of people who would be really upset if the dividend get got cut i mean if anyone's buying it for an eight percent yield today um you know i think that's a wrong way to look at it you should be looking at it as like what is this intrinsic value of this asset at this very moment um and if 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 we're anywhere near right about the intrinsic value, that would suggest that there are other uses, um, including a buyback. But of course, the buyback then you know it shrinks the share count. But then the, the the then you're using your cash as opposed to delevering. You know you're using your cash for that. And does that raise the leverage? Does it keep it leverage neutral? So what does that mean? So I, I think there's a tough balancing act here because you've got people who truly care about the dividend. You've got people like you know who are. Who, who have the same sense of the SFTP that we do that think, wow, you should be buying a lot of stock. And then there are a lot of people also, and, and there are plenty of, of, of your compatriots on Twitter who think that they should be investing aggressively in fiber, right? And then there are people who are worried about the debt. Those are four uses of cash flow, which are like, you can't do them all. Diametrically opposed, yeah. But yeah, and so so look, Jeff, Jeff and his team have a tough, there's a, there's a tightrope here. And it's not, in, and look, why did the stock go down? Like just, just, just like, irrespective of what we think, um, that Apollo deal was at a multiple higher than the stock price, right? So you sold your worst assets for a multiple higher than the stock price, and the stock went down. So what were people freaked out about? One, um, the, the you know you mentioned the word dividend cut and people and and 
there's a lot of short-term investors who are whatever, just, just want to front run a dividend cut and stock goes down. Um, the other thing is they give it, as we talked about, they give us almost no detail on what, what, what the fiber investment is going to look like, you know, and our feedback to the company is just like, if you weren't going to tell us anything, tell us that, you know what, you'll tell us on Q3. And yeah. as opposed to going back and forth with a thing about, with a sell side analyst and just saying nothing. Right. And so say, say you're going to have an of, investor day in detail at all. When you, when you close the mergers, you know, that's the pretty typical thing to do. Yeah. And I know Lumen just had an investor day in I think it was April or something, but just say, Hey, we can't detail it now. We've been at work on $16 billion of asset sales, but yeah. we've got a good idea. And we'll give you guys a lot more clarity once these deals close. Yeah. That's, I mean, so that's why people freaked out. Um, it, there are, I, I look, I'm going to go back to Ben Graham. And I think the most, one of the most important things Ben Graham ever said is that in the short run, the market is a voting machine. And in the long run, it's a weighing machine. And the short run voting machine said, yes, these deals make sense um, in a lot of ways, but you, but I don't like the, I don't like the lack of transparency and I don't like the idea of a dividend cut. And the stock went down. Um, yeah. and, no, it, and that's, and so I don't getting to, to really just drive it home. I don't care about the dividend. Yes. Would it suck if my largest position was down 15% in a day because I cut the dividend? Yeah, that would, that would not be a fun, fun day for us. But I, I think if there are better uses of the capital, if you have a three to five year time horizon here, um, you, you would rather them use it elsewhere. Yeah. Look, I 100% agree with you. It's just one of those things, you know, the me of three years ago would have said, just buy in front of the dividend cut, screw it. Like the value's there. And I, I agree, it's a better use of, of the, the money to buy back shares or go invest in fiber. But the me of today says, oh, you know what? Like it's the old thing. Everyone knows earnings are going to miss and then they miss and the stock's down 20% because it turns out not everyone did. And yeah. everyone knows the dividend is going to get cut and they cut it and it's down 20% because there's a lot of funds that are in for the dividend and they sell. So I, I agree it's inefficient, but it's a worry. And, and, you know, in many ways, have you ever looked at Q-rate? Oh, Q-rate. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're, we're Liberty guys. So I've owned, you know, off and on owned Q-rate for probably since, you know, when it was... QVC when it was a tracking stock. I mean, off and on since probably 2015. I, I, I used to follow it very closely. I kind of stopped and I, I kicked myself because last year they announced a, you know, anybody who's followed this, the company used to say, we're going to buy back shares like crazy. And then they ran into some headwinds, the business underperformed. And all of a sudden, you know, they had loved retiring shares when the stock was 25 and the stock dipped to 10 and they stopped. Yep. And the heels of COVID, they actually were a big COVID beneficiary. And they made a lot of money and they decided to do this weird recap. They they sent out a preferred share and they paid a huge dividend, which alone does not pay dividends. That's very tax yeah. inefficient. And I know a lot of people said, this is a special situation. Get it for the return of cash. And I looked at it and I said, it, I've never seen this before. It feels to me like Malone and the insiders are saying, get it, get all the cash out while the getting's good. Well, the stock's done incredibly well since then. So clearly I was wrong. But, well, you know, I mean, it, but, but I think that was... To your point, like yeah. that was a rebound. Everything was down. Everything's up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So look, the stock was like what five or six bucks at the bottom, and now it's what ten or eleven. I mean, it, it's it's back to where it was, um, you know, before COVID. But it's um, it's ten so, or eleven, but they've also paid out like six or seven dollars of dividends. So you really have all your cost now. basis back. But yeah, no, it's been a good one then. Let me ask you a hard hitting question, and please, this is tough. So if I'm too far off, but I noticed when I was flipping through their 10K, so 
the U.S. government to support rural internet provides lots of uh, subsidies. One of the them they provide is Connect America Fund that started in 2015. It ends at the end of this year, I believe. CenturyLink Lumen makes. $500 million per year from it, which I think is pretty much 100% margin. Now, some of that is related to the Apollo assets they're selling, but still, that's a lot of money that CFA is gone. It's going to be RDOF, which is Rural Digital Fund, which I think incentivizes people to build out to rurals. But you know, that's $500 million of CAF money that I think it's almost 100% margin. It's going away. Yes, some of that's going to Apollo. But when I look at that, I say, oh, that's a really high margin cash flow stream that it's gone. So how are you looking at that, adjusting your models for that, all that type of stuff? Yeah. I mean, we're assuming that 500, 500 million is gone, right? And now we don't know what percent is going to Apollo and what's, what percent of that. My guess is given the rural nature of, um, you know, the, the assets they're selling to Apollo, my guess is a lot of it's going there. And when so- we say- when we say they're selling assets to Apollo at five times EBITDA, if I'm, I'm doing this from memory, that was trailing EBITDA. So that would include the CAF number. So if yeah, I sure. added that CAF number back on a kind of run rate forward basis, we're talking maybe seven times EBITDA. Am, yeah. am I imagining I, that or am I thinking about that? Um, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to comment on the exact number because we don't know, but absolutely, your, your, your sense is absolutely right. Because if you look at, and let, let's be fair, you, you said you're going to ask a hard hitting question. Lumen did not do particularly well in our DOF. Now, I would say I'm a little unclear, and I think a lot of people are a little confused about what's going on with that. Like they haven't really been sending out proceeds, you know, to to because to, to, I mean the, the auction that that thing happened last year, and there hasn't been a lot of movement there. We had a change in administration. There were a lot, a lot of complaints about the way that was handled. You know, for example, the amount that SpaceX was able to get uh, right without even yeah. they didn't at that point they didn't have a system and they were able to get. I mean, now they actually have something, but then they didn't have it. You know, another one of our holdings, Viasat, has been very critical of that process. Um, and you know, I think Lumen looked at it, and if you look at like the way it worked, like there were people bidding. It was this weird auction where you actually bid how much you'd be willing to invest in a specific market as opposed to like like proceeds. Um, from the way I looked, from the way I understand it. And so there's been a lot of complaints about the way that process is. And something, it feels like the change in administration has slowed that down. So who knows? There was always going to be an RDOF two. There, this was one. There was always going to be a two. Who knows if they scrapped the entire thing? But in any case, you are 100% right that we, you know, that that isn't level three money. So let's just be be clear here. This is not enterprise. This was, this was the consumer side um, that is basically... Um, going to be less profitable going forward. But that's, as you said, captured in the Apollo numbers. And so let's just just rough, let's just say that 250 or $300 million of that was is going to be tied to those Apollo assets. And absolutely, that multiple is even higher, right? And so, I mean, and that and that's kind of what, if you look at Cincinnati Bell, which Cincinnati Bell went, which was a, a more fiberized asset than, than 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 what the Lumen assets are, that went for seven and a half times in a bidding war. Right? Yeah. So there, there is a private equity demand for these assets. Um, and listen, I, I should say something because I'm a value investor and I always talk against my own book and I always have to look at the other side. It's like my main worry is that, you know, this is the definition of, you know, whatever, a greater fool 
stock where you know you're just owning it hopefully hoping that someone will pay a higher price for it even if the fundamentals aren't there um and so you know we've seen these high multiples that are that you know whatever Cincinnati Bell went for a much higher multiple than Lumen trades at and and I would argue that at least the level three side of of of, of Lumen is, is is far better than than a lot of what Cincinnati Bell had but look this 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 could be a an outcome of the fact that we have a 10-year that's at 1.5 percent and if 10-year goes to three and a half percent then infrastructure or fiber multiples aren't going to be what they were right and so it, it does scare me a little bit and, and and look i think a lot of this is reflected in a, in a 13 dollars stock price but it does scare me a little bit that you know lumen may have lumen may have a moment in time and as an investor you know i don't know if it's i don't know if you consistently can make money hoping to sell something at an you know whatever at an inflated multiple at a, at a moment in time so that's you know that's something i worry about but then on the flip side you know put a 9 is a 9 an okay number that seems like a you know very few very few infrastructure ish assets trade at that. So but and and you put a five and a half on the on the other business and you're getting twenty eight dollars, right? Or if you put a zero on it, you're getting eighteen. There's a margin of safety, and so what I tell people when they ask me about it, Lumen and 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 I say absolutely all of these things you're saying are true. They've got problems with the copper plant that are declining they've got businesses within level three that are not growing and that are shrinking you've got a bunch of wholesale revenue that's going away you've got um you've got legacy phone business even within the enterprise that's that's going down so absolutely all of those things are true talk to me at 18 dollars, and i may have a very different perception than at 13 right or at 12 or at 8 when we talked about it last year on on the investors podcast so it's like you have a it's it's about margin of safety. And so, but but to frame it, right? Like I'm a Buffett style investor. And so you're like, what in the world is this guy doing with this? I, like investing in Lumen. It's because it's a special, special situation. And like I, I think that people don't view it as such. People think that this company will be in some form in the same way that it look, you know, it looks now in, in three to five years. I don't think that's the case. And so um, but yeah, the time frame matters. And they've got to hit. They've got to hit the bid, as far as I'm concerned. Let me agree with you on one point, and then push back on one point. Sure. So, a, I agree. I think investors are very much underrating, and it's one of the reasons I've been looking at everything telecom. They're underrating how much infrastructure money wants to pour in here. You know, I, yes. I can list. Cincinnati Bell was a massive bidding war. People forget. I, I mean, it was one of the best bidding wars I, I've ever seen. I, I wish I had been involved in the stock because I had actually done a lot of work on it before. But you know, if I remember correctly, it was Apollo bid. Brookfield came over the top. Apollo. I, I mean, it was a. It was like a sixty percent initial bid, and then there was a bidding war that drove that sixty percent premium up another sixty percent. So by the time it was all over, the stock had almost tripled or something. So. But it wasn't just them. Otelco went for a huge multiple. There have been several other uh, Alaska communications up in Alaska. I actually did yep. play that one. I, I put a write up up. People can Google it if they want. That went for it. Like there is a lot of money here that is paying. You can go look at the multiples they're paying. And if you get with Lumen, with any of these guys, if you get the multiple that just the multiple people are paying, it's a big prop. Let me give a pushback though. Yeah. I, and I want to talk interest rates in a second too, but let me give a pushback. You know, I've done some work on Lumen. I, before you and I even did the podcast, I read the Investor Day. I flipped through it. I followed it for a while. I, you mentioned Frontier earlier. The ticker there is FYBR. That's kind of the one that I've done a lot more work on, and I very much like it for all the reasons we've discussed here. So my pushback on your Lumen thesis, I think, would be 
hey, I agree with you. People want to buy, especially the consumer fiber and actually the enterprise fiber, because we talked Zao, we talked uh, Lightpath and all these, but Lumen is just this mismatch of assets. So I don't disagree with you. The value might be there, but it's so complicated and so hairy. Like Frontier just emerged from bankruptcy, very clean story, trades for five times EBITDA. They're going to go do the fiber investment. They've laid out, they've been pretty clear. They've got wave three assets. They've got 15 million homes fast of them, about 5 million. They're pretty clear. They'll look to sell into an Apollo-like deal if they get the thing there. So it's just a much cleaner story. Why is Lumen the way to play it? Because there's other, it's not just fiber. There's uh, consolidated, a couple other. Why play Lumen with all that hair when you can get kind of the same upside and the same story and a much cleaner story? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point. I think in theory, you could make money on both. Um, and I'm not saying anyone. Hey, I'm fingers crossed that we're both going to make yeah, money. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you and I will be high fiving in 12, 12 months or 24 months. I, I look, I, I totally agree with that statement. Um, I, I just, I think internally. So you have to understand when when you're an owner of an asset or an owner of stock, you have to understand like which parts of the business or which of the whole company that you'd be a buyer of and which parts you'd be a seller of. Um, I think we would be a buyer of 450,000 route miles of fiber in the business side. Um, you know, and, and, and something that I feel like we could hold, you know, if, if, if you could buy the whole business, something that you could hold um, as a core infrastructure asset. Yes, for sure. Google and Facebook are, are building their own fiber, uh, subsea fiber across the Atlantic and the Pacific. Um, but that's, that's because bandwidth is growing at 30% per year. Right. Like at some point we will run out of infrastructure and people will have to build more fiber. That was not true in 2000. Right. Like why did global crossing basically go bust is because of, of that. Like, there was an overbuild. It's because they laid so much and there was no demand. Right. So it yes. was growing 30 percent, but it was starting off such a small base and they laid it like it was going to grow 500 percent. Yeah. And so but now we're in the opposite position. Yep. Like I just. I just interviewed uh, for our podcast the uh, the CEO of um you know a global uh, global uh, satellite uh, broadband company and if you've listened to this podcast or followed Coaster you can guess who that what that was but his point was that you know they're seeing they're seeing fiber demand growing thirty percent year over year right because video is so such a bandwidth hog right and so for uh, that those assets, right? What I think of is infrastructure, which is going to be infrastructure. And by the way, I'll throw this out there and then maybe totally, totally speculative, but I don't see why the next infrastructure like asset for someone like American Tower or those guys to own. I don't understand why like, like in- fiber in the ground is not like a very obvious kind of like I- infrastructure asset to own in addition to that. So is that like, is that um, Crown Castle, or is it, you know, is it AMT? I don't know. That's just, I, I just see this as an infrastructure asset that is going to be core to our lives. And that's been, I think, highlighted by the COVID environment. So those assets I would like to own. I don't know that I want to own consumer, r- rural consumer assets. Like I, I look at, I, I've read the same presentations that you have. I've, I've, I've just been uh, scratching my head a lot about the economics surrounding rural fiber builds. Now, I will say that we haven't even talked about the infrastructure bill, which could make, I mean, look, Frontier and Apollo, as they as they take these Lumen assets, might just get a windfall that whatever you think the return's going to be, like you're going to get, it's going to be even better because you're going to get government money. Um, so so maybe that makes sense. But I, I, the, the simple answer for me is twofold. One, I like the business assets. And if that's all we owned, 
when the consumer assets were sold or whatever, whatever next strategic move Lumen makes, I'd be okay with that. Um, and so, and, 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 and if I could add part two, I think you really, you know, the management here well, and I think you really like the management team. If I can put words into your mouth. No, that's no, the people parts the same. And I will throw one other thing out there um, just because, you know, no, no podcast on a security is not, you know, is complete without a bunch of wild speculations. Um, but this is something that we've actually talked to the company about, and that's the idea of turning into a fiber reap. Mm. Um, and so um, that did not make any sense when you had NOLs because there's no, there's no reason you can never use, you can't use the NOLs if you're, if you're a REIT. However, if you look at these two transactions that just occurred, they use will use a lot of those NOLs. All of the NOLs will be gone. And so they will be a, ta- a cash tax payer to a large degree, call it whatever, maybe 2023 or, or back half of 2022, that's going to depress free cash flow. So the question is, what, what do you do with that? It is something that the company has looked at. Um, one of the issues is that the fiber re- like it's not really an asset class yet, right? There is that one, I forget the one, what it's called, but it's tied to the Windstream assets. Um, and, Unity. And Unity. Unity. But, but isn't you Windstream like 40% of their, their business or something uh, like that? Well, so when they spun, I've got a lot of history with them. Windstream was 98% of their yeah, business okay. when they spun. And I, I think it's still pretty high. They never got the multiple they wanted. There were some lawsuits there too. As I'm remembering it, that's a really complicated story. But yeah, I don't think that's a fair comp. But but like if I'm an investment banker and I'm walking in and be like, you should turn into a fiber rate. And I look at Unity and I'm like, that that thing doesn't look good. like. But they've got customer concentration issues that that Lumen would not have. Whatever yeah. the level three, whatever you want to call it, level three plus Quest, whatever they, their main code, they wouldn't have that. And so- you know, they're, they're, that, that REIT opportunity is something they have in their back pocket at some point. And as you know, like REITs, REITs live in a different world because you of know, that. If I'm, rem- if I'm remembering correctly, Zayo, the, the white whale for them was always switching from a C-Corp to a REIT, if I'm remembering correctly. And I think the, attractive, the attractiveness of that came and gone, came and went, and there was some, uh, there, there were some operational issues with Zayo. But I guess for Lumen, the reason you like Lumen is you really like a, you like the people, you like the valuation, but I think a core part of your thesis is we really like these enterprise fiber assets and, you know, the consumer assets we can kind of take or leave. Hopefully we get a nice multiple, we're buying them very cheaply, but you like those enterprise assets, which I, I can certainly understand. Let, well, let's, uh, let's call them. They're, they're not growing. So there's, there's, there's some wood to chop there to prove that these assets are something that, that you, as any, as a shareholder, as a buyer of the whole asset, that's something that you want to own because, and I think this is the biggest, my biggest, biggest criticism and concern about the stock is not that the, 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 co- the copper business is declining. Clearly that's, that's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. It's that they can't get the top line for whatever reason, all of the reasons we've discussed about like declining businesses within the level three, COVID sure hasn't helped anything as SMB has gotten really hurt by COVID. But, you know, the the strength of the, the enterprise fiber assets is only as good as your ability to get them to actually grow. Um, and that has been the challenge. And if you just, it, they have done a ton to invest there. Um, and, you know, I, I think for anyone who wants to not just be completely backward looking and try to understand what a path to growth would be for those enterprise assets, look at what they've done with, with investing in the edge. You know, 97% of the country is now within five milliseconds of, of, of latency within of, of, of the Lumen plant. So like that, 
that that opens up all kinds of opportunities for IoT, you know, for you know, like whatever cloud operations, like like operating companies operating all wholly in the cloud versus you know, kind of like a hybrid model. So there's just they have a lot of different balls up in the air to get the enterprise growing, but hundred percent, it ain't happening right now. Uh, we we've talked about a lot. You've been super generous with your time. We, t- you and I talked for almost 20 minutes before the podcast started and we're running over an hour now, but yeah. is there anything else on Lumen? Again, this is a complicated story. There's a lot of different parts there. We could have talked about a, a lot of other things. I've got so many notes over here. I want to tip, but is there anything you wish we had hit that we, we kind of haven't covered so far? You know, I, I think as an investor, it's important not to get so in the weeds um, that you lose a sense of what the high level is. Um, and so at Co Street, we we really focus everything in on four key variables. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you and I could have this conversation for three hours because there's so many moving pieces, but really there's only a couple of things that really matter here, I think. Um, and the first one is the question of what is this going to look like? What is the structure of the company? What assets will remain in, you know, call, call it 24 months from now, right? So I think, cap, so that I call, I put that under the, the heading of capital allocation. And so does Jeff's story, A, is he incentivized? Does he care? Does he know how to, take a $13 stock much higher? Does he? Is it in the DNA of him and the management team and this company to figure out how to create value from here? Because if you read anything he says, he says it over and over again that we think our stock is material undervalued. So can they can they create that value, right? And I think that's, that's the key variable. And look at, and, and so to understand that, you have to, you have to try to understand the people um, and, um, we've done a fair amount of work talking to former employees and people who were like, you know, friendly with the former board members of, of, of level three and who really have an insight on how this, how, how, you know, the, the origin of, of, or, 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 you know, what Jeff was thinking when he came to the company and now kind of like four years in, what, what might he be thinking? So, you know, I don't, we, I don't want to reiterate all we talked about, but I, I really just, if you, if you can distill it down to those four key variables, which are capital allocation, um, I think ability to um, maintain a balance sheet that 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 is not over levered, um, you know, I, I think getting some growth at enterprise, those three, I think, are more are are are, are really what's going to drive the, the stock from here. Um, and so, as opposed to um, you know, spending your time nitpicking, you know, little things that they've done, which we certainly do. But instead of instead of instead of like worrying about how Jeff's story sounded on the on the conference call or the way the way they feel the questions poorly or their comments about the dividend, take a step back, look look at the look at the big picture and and you know make a call whether you think these people are value creators. And and we have publicly, this is the second or third time we were publicly saying, we think Jeff Story is a value creator. We think he gets it. Um, and, you know, the moment may be fleeting, which is why, you know, we, we think they should hit the bit right, in some capacity, at least to get down to a core that 
may that just maybe other people might appreciate relative to that problem, which I said is like if you combine pretty good assets with really crappy assets, the really crappy assets are what carry the multiple. And, and people tend to works. focus on the really crappy assets more than the good assets. Yep. Last question, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. When's Jeff coming on the Compounder podcast? I feel like he'd be a perfect guest and it, it would be great for the company. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're trying for sure. Um, we are, you know, we're still building our credibility. We, we're just about to launch. Uh, sorry. Our, our next week we will be uh, releasing our eighth episode. Um, we've done 12. Um, we've got some more momentum, which is great uh, to, to like bigger, more well-known companies. I think is like, I, I like a balance of like, Stonex. No one knows who Stonex says. Sean O'Connor was amazing on that podcast. Um, but also it's good to have some Fortune 500 CEOs on there as yeah, well. Just, just like, get just, your casual Warren Buffett. Just get yeah, your yeah, Bezos. Yeah. Just to get the numbers we're, up. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I do, you know, I'm a mid-cap investor. So to me, if I'm getting six and seven billion dollar companies on, um, that's, 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 that's that just shows that the, that the, the, the podcast is resonating. Um, you know, obviously, um, this is a complicated thing and Lumen has been in a position where they're, look, the Apollo deal is not going to, supposed to close for another year. So they've got Hart's got Rodino stuff they're dealing with. They've got regulators to deal yep. with. So it's a question of how much Jeff could even say. And so um, we would love to have him on. I am, you know, I, I have tried to um, subtly prod Southeastern to, to, you know, to figure out if we could like, find a way to make that happen. Um, but it's, it, it, it'd be great, but, um, you know, you guys will be the first to know if we can do it. Great. Well, Hey, look, I, I'm going to tell everybody again, compounders pod, podcast, Ben's podcast. I'll include a link in the show notes. You really should go check it out. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it so much. I hit Ben up every now and then I'm like, I'm looking at an interesting company. I need you to get the CEO on and talk to them, but go look at it. If there's a company you like, uh, go check it out. Cause I, I promise you that you're going to learn a lot from the podcast. So Ben, second appearance. Really appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to the third appearance. Looking forward to hearing your voice on the podcast again at a minimum. But uh, thank you for coming on. I've enjoyed this and we'll chat soon. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, and I hope, you know, I, I hope this has been uh, helpful for people who are interested in Lumen um, from giving some like a broad perspective and kind of like a high level thought. Um, and I am sure there will be plenty of derision um, based on it because that's just based that's, on my early Twitter mentions at a minimum, faux Greg Maffei is going to be coming at us, but that's uh, good. Good. I, I enjoyed good. it. I, I'm, I'm willing to take it. I'm willing to take it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thanks a lot, Ben.